Welcome to a podcast on marketing. I'm your host, Jordan Ogren, and this is a podcast where we talk about marketing. So to start off, who are you and what do you do? Uh, hi, Jordan. I'm very happy to be here. Um, my name is Victoria. Uh, I position myself as a SaaS analyst. I started as a um, content creator. I worked for different SaaS companies. And now I'm gradually transitioning to building my own uh, product. Um, I'm focusing on helping SaaS founders and decision makers to see, to zoom out and to see the bigger picture. Because I'm not sure if you noticed, but for example, on social media, all the advice, all the content is very, very focused on the tactical, on actions, on steps. But there's almost nothing about strategy, about zooming out, about seeing the bigger picture, about understanding what's happening in the SaaS industry and what are the trends and the shifts happening in the market. And what I'm helping, I'm helping SaaS founders to see these trends, to see these shifts and to, to actually to get prepared and maybe to, you know, to identify some opportunities and find some ideas that maybe they would like to implement to grow their businesses. Awesome. Have you always been kind of that strategy thinker or did you used to be or talk a lot about the tactical and then you made a transition or have you always been more of a strategical thinker and it just kind of was perfect that you've, you're now where you're at or did you have to kind of transition from tactical to strategical? Well, I'm thinking that my background helped with that because I have a background in academia. I you know, used to be a researcher. I, work, I worked as a researcher in a university and Obviously, when I transitioned to the SaaS world, um, everybody, everybody were, I mean, everything was moving very fast. Everybody wanted fast results. And I noticed actually that uh, there are some people, some companies that are just, you know, very tactical. They're trying to try everything and without actually having a, a strategy behind it or without actually thinking well and thinking through the entire process. So I can't say that at some point I was tactical and at some point I became strategical. I think this was always who I was, you know, I, I can, my uh, advantage here is that I can zoom out and zoom in. So now I'm using this <laughs> focus on creating this, uh, on helping people see what I see. And that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. That you're, and identify actually opportunities. Yeah. Yeah, you're using, as you kind of said, your background, you're using kind of a skill or just something that you maybe inherently have the ability to do helping others who maybe are focused on different aspects or have different skills. That's cool. That's cool. So first question I want to, other than who you are, uh, is kind of what are you obsessed with in marketing in the SaaS world? Like, is there something recently that you kind of got obsessed with or something you've been obsessed with for a bit? Oh, there are lots of things. <laughs> Every single little. Okay, first of all, let's start with this idea that we can't speak about, we can't talk about marketing without talking about sales, about talking about leadership, building in public, about uh, customer success, about everything that about the entire playbook of a SaaS company. Because what's marketing now? Mark, nowadays, marketing is everything from the inbound strategy to that uh, micro SaaS founder who is building in product on Twitter, his company, or those employees that are very active on social media, engaging and creating value. So mar as I see it, everything is marketing in SaaS. But what I am obsessing about a lot, and I'm seeing a very, very specific trend is that 
I think that we are moving from inbound marketing, inbound strategy to media strategy. I'm seeing more and more SaaS companies creating media products, full-fledged TV shows, docu-series, uh, very, very specific podcasts that have a very interesting, you know, format that you can say that, okay, this is not a podcast, this is a media product. Um, seasonal um, blog posts. Uh, there is even a, a, a French company, Lemlist, they're launching a, docu a documentary on how they've started and um, the create, I mean, the CEO, uh, ah, I forgot, Guillaume Mobesh, he, he's very active on creating content, even on TikTok. I mean, what SaaS founder creates content on TikTok? <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, but this started actually, for me, the outlier is MailChimp. I don't, I'm not sure if, I don't know if you, you saw <laughs> all their productions. They have so many mini series. I mean, bingeable content that you're just getting hooked on. And the second outlier for me is profit well and what Patrick Campbell is doing. Come on, this guy is going to tour North America in a van recording a podcast. It's like, what SaaS CEO is doing that? <laughs> but this is, I mean, this is what I love to observe. And I, I, each time I notice a new company using this strategy, I'm saying, okay, <laughs> they got it. Because you know what's happening? We're obsessing. I mean, back in the day, it was the ebook. And this is how Patrick Campbell actually explains it. The ebook, the person download the ebook, they maybe just browse, I mean, skim through. They didn't read it. Come on, Jordan, when was the last time you downloaded an ebook and you read it? It's, <laughs> let's be honest. Yeah, years, years, <laughs> if, if ever. Yeah, <laughs> but creating consistent media products, consistent shows, consistent episodes, it creates uh, consistent touch points between your brand and your audience. And that's a, a new way of seeing promotion and marketing. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's, that's my answer. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Why? So I think you kind of said some reasons, but why the shift from this inbound, maybe HubSpot paved the way with, you know, answer these simple questions. What, what is marketing or all these kind of really non, like you're kind of talking about these shows are very different per se. Like what was the shift from kind of that ebook you know, putting the information to now this MailChimp where they're creating these podcasts or shows that you could argue almost have little to do with their service, but it has a lot to do with the people that use their service. What what made the shift happen or why the shift? I think that the most important reason is the fact that we are swimming in content. Like, come on, a SaaS company is not competing with another SaaS company in the industry. The SaaS company is competing with Twitter, with uh, cute cat and dog videos, with uh, Spotify, with uh, different podcasts, with Netflix. And how do you make your voice heard? How do you stand out? Especially considering that even, even if it, we take MarTech, Mark, uh, yeah, Mark Tech, and you see the panorama. Uh, according to Statista, there are over now in 2022, there are over 9,500 Mark Tech companies. Wow. In the world. And this is only That's the beginning. Bizarre. Do you know that uh, the CEO of Webflow, he actually said in 2021 that we are just at the beginning of the SaaS revolution. We've built only 10% of the SaaS companies that we're, we've been able to build because now we have new tools that will allow us to build even more. So how do you stand out, especially now that you have to compete with all other media broadcasters and producers? You have to become 
uh, bingeable, you have to become interesting, you have to become entertained. I mean, you have to entertain your audience, first of all. This is entertainment is also a value that companies start to realize that they have to offer. So yeah, I think that's, that's why this shift is happening right now. Yeah, so to just kind of reiterate, it's, you know, so much content, so many companies that you can't just do the typical old playbook of these ebooks on kind of standard topics or just very basic level fundamental things. You have to go deeper. Do you think that starts or like, do you think that begins with deeply understanding the customer? I think like MailChimp or ProfitWell, like they have a really clear, defined persona, whatever you want to call it of, okay, this person obviously likes our product, but what else do they like? And I use this example in a different podcast, but it's like someone who makes nail polish. It's like creating content for moms. It's like, wait a second, you don't really have, like you're not selling any course for motherhood or anything like that, but you understand that your audience who uses your product most likely needs to learn how to be a better mother or how to deal with children. Like what does it, where do you start when you're like, okay, I get it, Victoria. I don't want to do eBooks anymore. I want to start doing this different content. What do I need to do or what things kind of need to be checked off for me to actually make something that then my audience likes? Cause obviously MailChimp and these, examples you use are doing it well. I'm guessing there's obvious examples of like people doing different stuff, but it's like too different or it just doesn't resonate. What are some of those checklists or things that I have to do to make the shift successfully? Okay, I think this is a very broad question, but this made me think about another trend that is happening nowadays. Uh, B2B buyers, they want to have B2C experiences. Because these B2B buyers are exposed to other B2C companies and they are B2C users of other companies. But when they are in their position at the company, they also want to have these experiences. They also want to be, I mean, and this, I'm, as I said, marketing is not only about one specific thing. It's part of an ecosystem. And now let's think about these product-led companies. Back in the day, and this is an example I'm giving from the events industry because it's an industry I know well. Why Hopin? Do you know Hopin? Hopin, in two years, they went, they, they grew from zero to a eight billion valuation. Two years. Two years since this guy, Johnny Bovhart, he built, he created the first code for the platform. And he says that he's the worst coder. I mean, he created just something just to have it because he wanted, it's something he wanted uh, as a customer. So he created it. And in two years, they reached this, um, they reached 8 billion valuation. Uh, before Hopin, the majority, a big part of the event industry technology were uh, sales led. You had, you didn't have any transparency, any pricing transparency. You couldn't see how much an event costs. You always had to, to call a sales uh, rep. And also you had to, to, to go through demo, to demos, uh, lots of, um, you know, calls, meetings. And I understand, I don't believe that sales-led companies will die yet. I don't think that. But what I'm saying is that people want things to be simple and easy to understand and transparent. Transparency became a huge, huge uh, plus. So I believe that uh, on the background of all these sales-led companies, Hopin, and other little companies that popped up because of the pandemic, they started to, to have so much success. And obviously then they combined the, sales, uh, the sales-led model with the product-led growth. But yeah, what I was saying is that they're offering a B2C experience to their B2B buyers. A customer, 
an employee in a company you say okay let me give it a try actually Hopin is offering a free plan this never happened it's like only two or three companies in the events industry are offering a free plan this is new this happened in the last two years so somebody from a company says let me try this platform i have to make an event let's see what it is all about the person uses the platform they run an event of 100 attendees they like the platform they call they talk with their teams with their managers and they're saying hey maybe we should go for the enterprise model because it is good it make the job is done it helped us make uh, do the job so so yeah it's this it's using b2c experiences for b2b buyers and also in the context of marketing and content talk to 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 people as they are humans i think that Hmm. It doesn't matter, the, you know, that uh, there is a, the manager, Tom, who lives in the suburbs and, you know, the typical buyer personas and uh, he has yeah. two kids like, okay, <laughs> what this has to do with how we are going to build the messaging around this person. Just treat a person mm -hmm. as a person, as a B2C. So, yeah, I think somehow these two are related. I still don't have the 100%. Uh, I, I didn't nail yet the argument, but my intuition tells me that there is some connection between creating great marketing content and the B2C experiences. Hmm. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And I wonder if it's just based off the fact that we're doing more B2C with like online and Amazon and you're just like, I'm always buying stuff. So I was like, then when I'm in a business where maybe back then they did buy stuff, you know, B2C, but it was different. You were going to stores. It was more of that manual. Hey, can I see this, you know, or whatever, where now it's like Warby Parker. I want to put the glasses on. Like, I don't like, I want things to be like you were talking about hopping. I want to try it on freemium model. Where a lot of them, yeah, they make you jump through hoops. You have to talk to a sales person and all that. So I do think that's super key is B2C. If you're B2B, making it more B2C. But really, the point is just doing it human to human. It's just trying to be as human as you can rather than hiding behind a logo, having your employees post on uh, social media. All those kind of things that we see companies doing well. Um, I think that kind of answers it with the MailChimps and how they're doing it profit well. How they do it is a really starting to adapt that, right? As, hey, we're B2B, but we need to act as though uh, we're B2C. So I think that, that was some good points. So one of my questions that I really enjoy to hear from people is what is one of your strongest held beliefs about marketing? And as you kind of said, marketing is everything. So what's a strong held belief you kind of have about, you know, whether it's product, content, marketing, anything within your ecosystem definition of marketing? What's a really strong held belief that you're willing to die on the hill for? Yes, uh, I remember two or three or even four years ago, I, 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 saw, I saw somebody on Instagram, you know, just when somebody pops up, you don't even know, you just check the profile. And uh, in his profile, he had so many followers, like 100K or something. And he was saying, he, he, he wrote something like, uh, I'm making people, I'm convincing people to buy shit they don't need. In terms <laughs> of, and he was a marketer, you know. And this made me realize that I'm strongly, strongly uh, against this approach. I believe that the role of marketing is to identify the people who have needs and to connect these people with the solutions that will make their life easier. I don't see marketing as something bad, as something, you know, that we are all in the marketing to sell. I see as a way of 
of connecting the need with a solution, connecting a human with a solution that exists already. But because of all this noise, because of all this content, this person doesn't see an easy solution to a problem they may have. Hmm. Yeah. So it's going from like an evil way that like admin and marketers used to maybe look like or act like to more of this good where you're actually it's and obviously just like came to my mind is as you defined it it's people who need it so like if you're selling something people don't need then you're gonna feel evil you're gonna have to do because nobody wants it per se but if you have the market you know that there's you're creating a product or you're creating a service that actually people need um then it's much easier because really you're just helping them rather than kind of like the guy the person said right you're just selling stuff to people that they don't need so i really like that kind of shift in the mindset because yeah marketing can at times feel kind of slimy like i don't want to you know write this sales copy but if you really believe like hey this is gonna help that person and they need this i think it uh, changes from like i'm a helper i'm somebody sending a life uh, raft out to somebody because they're drowning and whatever it is you know like notion they just they can't keep up with their workflow or whatever that is but i can bring this to them to help them and also finding those people i think is key as well which is kind of like the content you're talking about is you can create content rather than an ebook that draws in people more touch points and you can start to have those conversations of how your product or even your way of thinking um kind of like category defining more or less your point of view can actually help them they may not need your product they could probably get there without it but like if they want to um so yeah no that that's really good i enjoy that you you brought up one of my other questions is what do you disagree with a lot of other marketers on and you kind of answered that in yours mm-hmm. is there anything else that you kind of you hear people post online and maybe you talked about at the start the tactical content but you hear people post and you're like oh i kind of rage against that i think that bad advice or i just really disagree with a lot of people on x is there anything that comes to mind for you that you heavily disagree with marketers or just business people in general on well i don't think i ever have i mean i don't think i ever had this feeling of strong disagreement because after all everybody has their own playbook and every single tactic may work in the right context in the right company in the right but there is something i still can't uh, uh, i still don't have strong arguments for it but i'm seeing that we are moving towards that I appreciate that, I like that, and I know that this will shift a lot how we do marketing and everything related to uh, privacy and Google Analytics, especially here in the European Union. You've seen the news, even Meta is saying, uh, threatening that they're going to pull <laughs> off Facebook and Instagram. But I'm seeing more and more companies, for example, more and more uh, privacy software like uh, use Phantom, like Simple Analytics that are replacing Google Analytics, respecting the privacy of the visitors, of the website visitors. Obviously, this will wa- won't help you do remarketing, won't help you uh, do lots of things that marketer- marketers are doing today. And hmm. I'm still not sure how this will impact marketing, but I have a feeling that this comes from a good place. And I'm all for protecting the privacy of users, protecting the data, and not be com- you know, completely evil that we don't care about the data, we can use it, sell it, do whatever we want. No, I think that mm. we have to play fair and the, made the best product win, you know, <laughs> or made the best content win, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
No, I, I agree with that. I think there is. And that kind of goes just back to the evil versus good shift, right? Where like, you know, and I want to have people's names. I want to spy on them, quote unquote, where now it's like, hey, we'll create, as you're saying, we'll create our product, we'll create our content. And if it's better than the other person's or different enough, we'll bring people rather than having to do things that you, you know, have to stop on the way home at the church and kind of repent of your sins because it's like, oh, that felt kind of ucky that I did at work today. I feel that as well as I've worked, I've kind of started to see the older tier kind of have less care of the privacy of some things that you're kind of talking about that I would say resemble good marketers in the sense of like evil versus bad versus good. Um, and it, there's a shift, right? in like ways that they're starting to move towards that. And I think that's really cool. I do think at times it's almost like uh there's almost like an early movers disadvantage when you do that in the sense of like you're giving things up, but it's better um, than, you know, these other people who are still, harvesting data or all these other ways that it's like, okay, they're winning still, but because I'm making this good decision today, I'm hoping down the line it works out. Or how do you think about that? Or do you not see kind of a disadvantage by taking up some of these safer, better practices? Well, there always will be advantages and disadvantages. It's the, the good thing about marketers is that we're creative and we can play with uh, few resources and tools. So I think that we'll survive. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that uh, positive um, outlook. So one question that I, I kind of think about a lot and I want to see your answer to is how do you define the dichotomy between good marketing and bad marketing? And obviously you can, you know, rebuttal this question right away and say good and bad is just in our perception. But how do you kind of define of like, hey, this is good marketing when you look at ProfitWell or some of these companies and hey, this is bad marketing. What are some of like the criteria you use to quote unquote judge uh, marketing as good or bad? There are moments when you see when you see a content or an ad or a strategy and you realize that people actually marketers actually don't care about the users. They just did that because they had to do that. Hmm. And even if even if there is a bad strategy or but when you see care, dedication, love, you can feel it. But it's not only that. What uh, actually another point is uh, consistency. I uh, noticed that some companies are jumping from uh, strategy to strategy, tactic to tactic, and they're not waiting enough for this step or tactic to give results. I think that uh, SEO consultants have this uh, happen. This happens a lot to them because the company or the leader or the manager may ask, okay, so one month passed, why we are not on the first page on Google? What happened? Okay, wait a second. This takes time, this takes months, lots of work. This doesn't happen overnight. But some managers, because they don't see results immediately, they may think that this uh, tactic or this strategy is bad, so they're moving on to another one. Mm -hmm. So not giving it time, not being consistent is bad. Hmm. So not caring and not you know giving consistency not showing up whether it's a strategy or whatever so it could be a bad strategy but if you're showing up doing it over and over again yeah i think those are two definitely things that i strive to do in my own uh, newsletter and my own quote-unquote marketing is definitely consistency showing up day in and day out and then obviously care right that i actually care about the person on the other side and i'm not just at times you know i will send things that i want to send but mostly it's always thinking what does this person need or how can i 
if it's something I want to say, how can I always turn it where, yeah, there's times, whether it's an ad or a post where it's like, this is clearly something somebody said we have to post in the company. And it's not at all with that uh, person caring in mind. Like it's a friend that just, you know, stopped by and just is telling you everything about their life without asking you like, hey, how are you doing? And it's like, someone I don't want to be around uh, that much. And two more uh, things. Uh, this strategy may fail. I mean, if you see over time that it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But at least you gather the data and you know how to tweak it, mm. how to improve it. I mean, you're moving on from every single marketing action is like a um, hypothesis. You know, it's like, this is my bet. This is what I believe is going to happen. But you can't see if it works or not, if you don't give it enough time. It may not work. It may fail completely, but at least, okay, we disproved this theory. We move to the next one. And second about caring. Yesterday I interviewed Arv Arvid Kal. He, I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. He's a SaaS entrepreneur and <laughs> big uh, author. Did you read like a bootstrapping yeah, book? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, he's, I follow him. He's writing like the third book already. And he, awesome. he's, uh, we talked a lot about building in public because there are some um, amazing SaaS founders who are building on public, sharing their failures and their lessons on Twitter. And what uh, Arvid said is that by being present every day on Twitter, connecting with people, not only creating content, because uh, social media is about engaging more and not creating your own content. People see that these SaaS founders, they actually care to solve a problem. They're not there to just sell or push something. So immediately the attitude of people changes. Hmm. Yeah, no, I'm a huge fan of working, building in public, just because, yeah, I think if if someone isn't building public, it doesn't mean that they don't care. But if someone does build in public, it's almost automatic of like this person cares so much that they're sharing stuff that really isn't driving any quote unquote bottom line benefit, but they care about it, which then almost has a weird paradoxical effect of bringing me in to be like, what is their product? What is what are they building? Because I really enjoy this person. And then if I'm in need of it, back to that marketing definition, then I'll most likely get it rather than some other product that could be on features and speeds better but I'm just more pulled into this product because of X, Y, or Z, the person building public, the person caring. So I think those are two good ads that I appreciate you kind of start going back and adding um, that. I like that. So what is what, what is something you believe, and we could have already touched on this, but what is something you believe that you find few other people like you or marketers believe? Not that they disagree per se with it, but you're kind of one of the few that are holding this flag in the air. And it might be something you've already talked about, but I'd just love to hear anything that you uh, find that you believe that few others uh, believe as well. I'm not sure. I mean, statistically speaking, how many people believe that or not, but I see that Customer education, user education, actually, not necessarily customer education, is gonna be is gonna grow big. And mm. I see that also as a tool for marketing. Imagine you have a freemium, uh, pro I mean, product like Miro. Their their academy, their community, especially as a customer education and community. I think these two channels are gonna grow big, and they're gonna be very important for SaaS companies. And I see. Mm. I see we're still focusing on uh, other details, uh, how many leads, SQL, MQL, but we're not seeing the bigger picture and we're not seeing that successful companies are moving to customer education. They're offering free courses. They're offering uh, a, a support at every stage of learning the program, the platform and a community, a very engaged community. 
And this is not new. Salesforce started with uh, their uh, trailblazers and with their community, with their um, educational uh, programs. And people love that. You may not use the product, but you can have, I mean, you can pass, you can uh, take the test of a few Salesforce courses. And nowadays there are companies mm -hmm. that are hiring professionals. And one of the requirements is to have a Salesforce uh, uh, certification. That's huge. Mm -hmm. And I see more, yeah. more and more companies going on this road. No, yeah, definitely, definitely agree with that. So why, and you kind of touched on it, but why does this customer education and this customer community, why does it work? Like for Miro, and I'm going to guess, I think Notion has a, a decent kind of resources for their customers. Like, why does it work? First of all, because uh, it's, it's more than customer support. You want to teach your users to actually get results with the tool. It's not uh, press the button here or do that. This is onboarding. This is easy. This is, it's like, how can you actually get the results that you want? How do you get your job done? And this is real commitment to your users and customers. And people love to say that. Plus some companies offer very, very cute and cool badges that you want to share with everyone on LinkedIn <laughs> or on Twitter. So this is also <laughs> a little <laughs> thing. Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Or almost ensuring that whatever job you hired or bought the product for gets done because it might not be just enough per se. Let's just say if I use Notion for productivity, I may put all my stuff in there, but I need a course. I need something more to get me to then not leave the product to say, hey, it didn't work. But then you can use these customer educations, these communities to kind of ensure that they get the job done that they use it for, which then obviously will increase you know, staying with that product and then sharing it with others uh, because, hey, I'm doing what it, you know, promised in the sense of it promised I would do X maybe without the product. And I like how you said with the support or that stuff, that's more kind of table stakes. That's you do that in onboarding, what buttons to press, where to go. This is that second level 201, 301 of, hey, you got the product. Here's how you get more out of it. Do the job you hired it for and maybe do some other jobs you didn't even know you could maybe do with it. Do you see that as being accurate or is is that um quote unquote off or like is it no I, how would you maybe i wanted to just uh, to share an example to make this clear uh let's take miro miro is uh, providing a visual collaboration tool and they are um, collaborating with uh, uh, facilitators with trainers and they're offering uh, classes and courses for these people for them to to actually design a successful training it's not mm. not how to use the board, how to put the sticker, how, but actually how to structure your training in such a way that your clients will um, understand or will uh, have moments of revelation. So it's going beyond the product. Yeah, just mm. a, like a tiny example, because obviously there are some there are some products that are very technical and you really have to take your time to to, to learn how they work. Then onboarding alone yeah. won't do nothing. I mean, won't do anything. You need to, to do a class mm -hmm. to understand how it works. Yeah, no, that's a great example with Miro. Another example that comes to my mind is Teachable, which mm. does courses. And I think like anything where you're doing something where it's almost like there's a lot of skill without the product that is yeah. required. You need to then have things within 
the product or on the website that you can educate to say, hey, this is how you build a successful course. Because if you just buy our product, throw some you know crappy course up there, you're going to be angry because it's not going to do anything. It's not going to help your you know students or whichever, and it's not going to sell well. Where then they build courses and things around, hey, how do you you know five steps to building an effective course, and they take you through how to build it, which is like okay, that's kind of the product, but kind of not. Which is just that Miro example of hey, if I'm using it for whatever I'm using it for. How can I better create my presentation, my workshop or whichever, which then will help my students or my audience better, which technically they could argue, hey, that's not, you know, our like our product is just a software. We don't need to teach them. But then as I see churn happens then because I don't get my desired result, which then I'm like, uh, I'm not going to pay for something that doesn't work. We're really I just needed some more learning to get better or to to do what I hired it to do, because as I was saying, the software might just be insufficient to totally deliver. Unless I'm an expert at courses, then obviously the software is enough for me to then take my expertise to courses on there. But um, yeah, that just sparked my mind as I've kind of done some courses with Teachable and I found their kind of learning to be, but I never put in terms as you've kind of done here of education and of that and yeah and, um, uh, community as well and what you're saying that some may say that ah, i'm just creating a SaaS product and that's it this is a huge misunderstanding because SaaS companies are building the infrastructure of internet this is how i say it and these companies are not just creating uh SaaS products they are creating new ways of doing things like Think about the controversy that Calendly sparked. Who sends the link to whom and who has the upper hand or, or think about, I mean, the classical, the classical example is our beloved HubSpot <laughs> with creating the inbound methodology, which back in the day was extremely successful. Each, I mean, successful SaaS companies are creating first ecosystems with different stakeholders around them, and second, new ways of doing things. They are coining new terms, new methodologies, and you have to teach people how to do these new things in these new ways that the SaaS company is offering. So how do you do that? Mm. I love that. They're paving, yeah, a new way because note-taking or some of these simple things, it's just more or less a new way to do it. And you need to educate people on that. I think that's a, a great way to kind of end that segment. I always end the podcast with two questions. Obviously, I'm early in the podcast, so it may change. So don't take my word for it. But I have two questions. One is going to be obviously about marketing, about all the stuff we're talking about. And one's going to be a little bit off to kind of end the show. So the first question is, what is one thing you've changed your mind on in regards to marketing in the past one to two years? So for me, you know, I believe putting out tons of content, the Gary Vee model was a way. Now I believe let's focus more on quality on making things people actually want. What is something that you're like, hey, I think differently about it for the better in the past one to two years? Yeah, back in the day, I had strong opinions about this companies should do that and or should do this. And mm-hmm. I realized that everything works or everything can fail. It depends on the strategy, it depends on the company, it depends on the person who is applying this strategy. And each time I see somebody writing something like try this or try this, I'm saying, yeah, this may work for somebody and this may not work for other person. So mm-hmm. what I'm, I realized is that we are often taking things out of context, especially marketing tactics and do that or do that. And we're not aligning this tactic with, okay, what's the profile of the company? What's the profile of the team? What are the goals? How we can adapt this to this specific company? So what I realized is that there is no truth 
and there is no i mean not there is nothing solid in terms of everything may fail everything can work Mm -hmm. it's just you use your filter yeah. to understand what to pick from this huge huge library of tools yeah it makes me think of dieting or you know like there there's no really one hack like yeah. obviously there's people that say don't eat meat there's people who are carnivores yeah. and it works really well <laughs> so like it's similar to like understanding the profile of you exactly. like what how am I what are you know people have like blood types for certain foods or whatever so understand the company and then applying it so I really I think I'm also in that same boat where I used to believe content's the only way where now I'm like wait some <laughs> companies maybe like very limited content is actually a good strategy um, which is kind of a evolution or maturing in kind of the thinking at least how I take it that's a good one uh, Victoria so the last question and this is one I find super fun to see what you answer to is what is one to two things outside of business and marketing that you do that actually improves your ability to do marketing or business okay for reading I, I, I have um, a huge curiosity and I just pick a subject and I try to read everything. Like I was interested in psychology, then I was interested in art, then I was interested in um, now in uh, economy because <laughs> mm. officially we don't have a good <laughs> financial training, you know? <laughs> and uh, actually yeah. you realize that you can apply things from different areas to, to marketing. And I'm going to end that with uh, a theory I like very much, a theory that I read to, from Jamie Mustard, the iconist. This is how is the book called. It's called The Block Theory. And he's giving examples from art, like take two uh, painting, take two painters, Van Gogh and Gauguin. They both uh, painted at this, in the same period. They're both great uh, uh, post-impressionists. They even lived together. They were friends. Yet, and Gauguin is considered like the most important post-impressionist painter. But people are remembering Van Gogh and not Gauguin. Mm. Why is this happening? Because if you look at the paintings of Van Gogh, there is, there is always a central piece. When you look at the paintings of Gauguin, there are so many things that are happening. There's so many plans, so many people. You have to really force yourself to understand what's happening. So this is how our brain works. Mm -hmm. And why it's called the block theory is that kids are attracted to, to blocks, to big objects, to big toys, because they, they are mesmerized by this. And when we, get, when we become adults, uh, we are complicating the way we transmit information and receive information, but we're still wired to like big things, central things. So. That, that's actually a beautiful theory that you can apply to marketing, how to become memorable, how to use very few big things in design, for example, or, or in your messaging to, to be memorable. And the most important about the block theory is to repeat it all the time. We maybe as marketers were thinking, OK, I said this sentence up, but I don't want to, to use the same sentence, so I'm going to change a little bit. Uh, the words, the wording, but that's not a good, uh, um, not efficient because to be memorable, you have to repeat yourself every single time, even if it feels super annoying to you and you feel that you're not professional and you're saying the same things all over again, it works. That's the, the, the yeah, that's the principle of the block theory. So yeah, I'd say that reading, reading from different uh, areas and topics helped me uh, improve my, uh, my skills. 
Awesome, Victoria. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing that theory. You got my mind running, so I will be checking that book out as I'm uh, akin to you and reading is so you know huge for me, but especially reading outside of marketing the business you know i built this and you know learn how i did it but reading these random books that you're like i don't think this has anything to do with marketing then you take a nugget you take a piece to it or you you add on to a mental model you already have and it just helps you better understand the world which then helps you be a better marketer so i appreciate you going in depth on that is that definitely intrigued me thank you again for being on the podcast victoria thank you and do you have any plugs i like to kind of keep the last section open for you just to plug anything whether it's a podcast because you kind of talked about that your website your product anything you want to just share with the two to three people who probably listen <laughs> to this podcast well i'm right now i'm also trying to to enter this podcast game so i have a podcast that is called the uh this uh the sas theory podcast and i know that the title sounds threatening i mean you add the word th <laughs> you add the word theory to anything and it's more serious than it should be but i promise <laughs> the podcast is light is fun is interesting um i enjoy actually talking to people and the podcast is amazing to actually engage and get to know professionals so yeah if you want to check it out please do and yeah that's that's my only ad <laughs> for, for this podcast. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Well, you can definitely find Victoria on LinkedIn and probably some other uh, social media websites if you want to kind of see her content as she does share stuff from the podcast and other insights, case studies, one, a few that you've shared that I've really uh, bookmarked just because they're so extensive that I'm like, I need to fully kind of sit down to uh, read it and dive into it. So definitely check her out. Thank you again for being on the podcast. It was a uh, pleasure. Thank you very much. My pleasure was mine. And this is the end.